You know, we, we were in New Hampshire last week. We were able to spend Christmas up there. And, and while we were there, Walt Matheny was texting me throughout the week, telling me about the temperatures in Dallas. And I thought, that sounds wonderful. I can't wait to get back. Very funny, Dallas. Very funny. <laughs> uh, it is so good to be back with you. It feels like we're coming home. I want to I thank you for your support of us, for your prayers for us as we've been serving in Haiti over these past five and a half years. That support and those prayers have literally sustained us. I want to thank you for that. My family is here with me. Um, most of them are there. One of them's back um, in the nursery and... Um, Alex, I don't, Alex doesn't have any memories with Grace, so, but they were a lot littler when they were here. Um, but we're glad to be back with you uh, this morning. We, it had been about two and a half years since we'd been back to the U.S., about two and a half years since we'd been back here to Grace, and, and we'd been looking forward to this trip to the U.S., and one of the things that I'd been looking forward to particularly was taking my kids hiking in New England. Uh, Becca and I are both from New Hampshire. That's where we grew up. And I just wanted them to be able to enjoy some of the beautiful scenery in New England. And in this past spring, as we were anticipating our upcoming trip to the U.S., I got on YouTube and I found that there was a woman on YouTube from New Hampshire who was preparing to hike the entire Appalachian Trail, starting in Springer Mountain, Georgia, going all the way to Mount Katahdin in Maine. And one of the things that was unique is that she was gonna document this thing every single day on YouTube. And so I started watching these videos and it was really fun to see her prepare for that hike and, and begin that hike. And, and for, the first, for the first several weeks as she was starting in Georgia and working her way up, heading north, the videos were really pretty similar from one to the next. You know, there are some beautiful views down there in that part of the Appalachian Trail, but, but you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, if, you see, if you've seen one, you've seen 10 of them, you know? But as she got closer to New England, the, the scenery started to change and, and things started to get more beautiful. And as she prepared to get into the presidential range in New Hampshire, and particularly to get up to, to Mount Washington in New Hampshire, anybody familiar with Mount Washington? It's the tallest peak in New England. We're really proud of Mount Washington. We really think it's something special. Of course, I've since been to Colorado and I realized that there are actually real mountains in the world. But um, as she was preparing to go to Mount Washington, the, the videos began to change. And she started to talk more about her preparation and she started to talk more about the weather because she knew that if there was any chance that the weather was gonna be bad, she was gonna have to pause the hike and pick it up on a different day uh, or something like that. I don't know if you've ever hiked Mount Washington. I did it uh, as a kid. And, and when you get to the top of Mount Washington, let's see if I can get this thing to work. Oops. There you go. When you get to the top of Mount Washington, one of the things you're gonna see is a sign there that says, the area ahead has the worst weather in America. Many have died there from exposure, even in the summer. Turn back now if the weather is bad. This is one of our claims to fame in New Hampshire, that we had the worst weather in America. Of course, they haven't been in Dallas this morning. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. The, the weather on Mount Washington can change so quickly that if you get caught in a storm on the summit of Mount Washington and you're not prepared for it, you're going to be in trouble very quickly. 
In fact, I was doing some, some research about this. Since 1849, they have been tracking the number of fatalities among people who have attempted to summit Mount Washington. And, and I discovered something that was interesting, surprised me. Uh, by percentage, the amount of people who have died trying to summit Mount Washington is almost twice as many as have died trying to hike Mount Everest. That surprised you? That surprised me. Why do you think that might be? Well, if you're going to hike Mount Everest, this is a whole thing. You're going to get ready for it. You're going you're to get some gear. You're going to spend months and months training. I think you even have to get a, a permit uh, in Nepal to be able to, to hike this mountain. It's, it's a whole process. You don't go into that hike unprepared. But Mount Washington, on the other hand, you know, when my father and I hiked it, we, we drove up the night before, we slept in the family minivan in the parking lot, and got up in the morning, had a little cereal, and, and started walking. And we hiked the mountain. The key with hiking and surviving storms is being prepared for them. If you want to survive a storm on Mount Washington, if you're going to get caught in a storm on Mount Washington, you've got to be ready for it. Now, if you have been watching the news, you may be familiar with the situation in Haiti where we serve for the past couple of years. We have been in the midst of some significant storms in Haiti. Uh, shortly after we got back from our last furlough about uh, two and a half years ago, about 10 days after we got back, violence erupted in the country, in the capital city and across the country. And literally every street, every intersection across the country, I'm not being hyperbolic here, looked like this or had burning tires lined across it. The whole country shut down. And if you risked going out into the city uh, that, uh, on one of these days, you would risk having them throw rocks at your car. Happened to me twice. The first time I was fast enough the second time I got, I got hit, but didn't get any damage. I don't know why. But this lasted, this first time, this is called, by the way, paid lock, which in Creole means country locked down. This first time, it lasted for 11 days. We were stuck at home. Everybody was stuck at home. Businesses stopped. Schools stopped. And then after 11 days, it lifted. And then later on that fall, it happened again, except this time, instead of 11 days, it lasted for four months. It's a massive destabilization all across the country. And meanwhile, as this was going on, the, the gang phenomenon in Haiti was continuing to increase and gangs were continuing to get more and more power. In our seminary, where our seminary's main campus is, is in a part of Port-au-Prince. It's a beautiful campus, 35 acres, quite large. And when we bought that land in 1942, there was nothing there. But since then, uh, a lot of these poorer neighborhoods have grown up around it. And, and the whole area has become infiltrated with gangs looking just like this. And I remember last uh, January 2020... Um, it was uh, a Thursday afternoon. I had just finished up teaching for the day. I had loaded a bunch of students into my Nissan patrol. We were getting ready to leave for the day. And, and I drove out the Fort Meckerty gate and I, I went down the hill to the bottom of the hill there to get ready to go across town and head home. And when I got to the bottom of the hill, I looked on the side of the street and I could see about 30 of my students standing on the side of the road. I said, what in the world are they doing there? 
And then I looked, I saw all their cars parked in the middle, and then I looked over to the left, and I could see about a dozen men with guns, AK-47s, large guns. And so I rolled up on the situation, and one of the guys came up to my window with his gun and said, I'll do some way, chef. I'll go down and see the, 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 the boss down there, the leader of the gang. So I went down and talked to him. I could see that this was obviously a situation that could go south very quickly, and so just went down and tried to keep it cool and talked with him, and turned out he was upset that he didn't want anybody using that road because he felt like it, it, it left his gang at more risk. And so I said, okay, well, maybe we can find another way in here. We won't use this road anymore. And he said, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. And so what do you think? You think we can let these students go? And so he said, yeah, we can let them go. So we could, all the students moved very quickly into their cars <laughs> and left. And then I hung out for a minute because Wawa was coming behind me and our dean was coming behind me and, and I wanted them to know ahead of time what they were getting into. And, and, and then after a few minutes, we were able to get out of there. But at that point, we said, okay, it's probably no longer safe for us to use the campus. And so we ended up relocating across town to a church on the other side of the city and began to hold classes there. And it was a struggle for us. Uh, we went from, from having a building with nine classrooms to having two. We went from 23 offices down to one, um, but we continued to persist um, through that. And the storms in Haiti have continued. As you know, this, um, um, this past July, the president uh, was assassinated, and, and these days, they say that this guy in the red shirt, who is the leader of a federation of gangs, is one of the most powerful men in the country. The storms have been whipping in Haiti for a number of years. Now, we, we've been back here in the U.S. for a couple months now, and, and when I'm in Haiti, I don't, I don't watch the news. It's just too depressing. I just don't even watch it. I knew about the pandemic. I knew that, that there were restrictions and different things going on, but when we got back here uh, this past August, we, we realized in a fresh way, wow, y'all are going through some storms too, aren't you, here? in this country. This past summer, we were on our way up to Bar Harbor, Maine, to go spend the weekend up there, and I, I rolled into a, a Dunkin' Donuts at three in the afternoon, and there was a sign on the door that said, sorry, closed, don't have enough staff to work. I had no idea that there was a labor shortage here. I had no idea about the supply chain issues and the ripple effect of that. We're going through storms in Haiti, but you guys are going through storms too, aren't you? And it's not over yet. So I want to talk this morning about how to face the storm. And one of the passages that we have looked at a lot over the past year at Step Seminary is, is a passage found in the Gospel of Mark. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Mark, chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. I want to look at this short little story with you, a story that is going to be familiar to all of you. Um, but as we look at this story, I want to see uh, uh, three things that we need to know, three things that we need to remember as we face the storm. Whatever the storm is, maybe it's the pandemic, whatever the storm is, three things we need to remember. I'm going to tell you the three words, and then I'll explain here in a minute. The first is look up. The second is look, I'm sorry, the second is look back. The third is look Ahead. Now, what do I mean here? Let's look at this story here in Mark uh, chapter three, uh, chapter four, beginning in verse 35. Now, to set this up, I want to explain something. One of the ways that I've been reading the Gospels lately, my job is a professor of leadership at the seminary, and so I'm helping to train students and, and get them launched out. 
And, and <laughs> I've been looking at this, these gospels and realizing that, that we have the documentation here of, of Jesus' method of preparing his disciples to go out and take the Great Commission out to the world. This is in one sense a great story of a great, or a great leadership development text that we're watching here, that we're reading. And one of the things that we see as we look through the Gospels is that, that Jesus has a habit of taking his disciples and placing them in the midst of difficult situations so that they can learn something about his character, something about how he operates, something about how they should operate. And, that, and that's the case here. It, picking, up, picking it up here in verse 35, it says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. They had just finished some teaching. They're getting ready to cross the lake in the boat. In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're in this situation. They just finished this teaching. They're getting ready to go across the boat. And one of the things that's interesting about this, remember the disciples, who were they before Jesus called them? <coughs> they were fishermen. It's not the first time that they had been in a boat, not first time they'd been in a boat on that particular lake, probably not the first time they'd been in that boat on that lake in a storm. But for whatever reason, this storm is causing them to freak out. They're freaking out as the storm is whipped up and they look at Jesus and what is the boss doing? What is the master doing? He's chilling, <laughs> having a little nap. It's a tiring day. And they look at him as he's sleeping on that cushion, and here's the mistake that they make. And I think it's a mistake that a lot of us make too. They saw his inaction, and they thought it meant he was indifferent. But what they didn't realize is, is that Jesus, as he was sleeping on that cushion, that that sleep in that moment, the lesson there is that sleep was supposed to point to his sovereignty. Why is he able to sleep? Because he knows as the God-man, he is not at the mercy of the storm. But the storm is at his mercy. He's the master of it. Jesus is the God-man. He knew that he was resting in his father's care. He knew he didn't need to be afraid of that storm because he remained in control. Even though the wind was whipping and the water was coming over the edge of the boat and even though the situation looked hopeless, Jesus was still sovereign in that moment. His sleep was pointing to his sovereignty. And one of the things that we need to do is we face our storms Whatever they are, we need to look up and we need to remember who it is that's with us in the boat. He's with us. I don't know if you know that. He's with us. He really is. You remember the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28? One of my favorite passages, of course. I'm a missionary. It kind of comes with the territory it's supposed to be. But the passage says, what does it say? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And then it ends with a promise. Remember this? What's the promise? Surely I'm with you. Monday through Friday, half a day on Saturdays, except holiday weekends. Now, surely I'm with you always. He's with us. Who is it that's with us? It's the God man. It's the one who is the master of the storm. Now, as I'm talking about this, you might be thinking, well, Luke, 
He hasn't come to my storm. I get you. I see you. Because he hasn't come to ours either. The winds in Haiti are continuing to whip. Even as I speak, the storm winds in Haiti are blowing fiercely. When we left the country in August to now, the country has significantly destabilized. We could probably call it a failed state at this point. Some estimate that the gangs control 70% of the country. Others would say it's more like uh, 100. The storm winds are continuing to whip in Haiti. He hasn't silenced the storm yet, but here's the mistake that we can make. See, in God's economy, inaction does not equate indifference. It just means he has a different idea. It just means he has a different plan. But here's the thing that can give us hope. If we can count on him, we can count on him to be who he is. Who is he? What's woven into his character? Not only strength, the ability to silence the storm, but also faithfulness, right? Let's keep the story going here. Picking it up in uh, verse 39. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's not very often that you see Jesus shocked in the Gospels, but almost always when he's shocked, he's shocked because he comes into a situation where he expected to find faith and he didn't find it. And that was the situation here. The disciples had been with him enough. They had enough information based on their experience with him so far that they should have understood that he's a little bit different, that he has power that he's not subjected to the same forces that you and I are as humans. They, they had enough information they should have been able to make a better, had a better response here. In fact, if we just take Mark's gospel here, Mark's account, uh, uh, and see some of the things that the disciples had seen going back to, to, to chapter 1, verse 21, we see that they watched him heal a man with an unclean spirit. In chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus healed many. In chapter 1, verse 40, Jesus cleansed the leper. In chapter 2, verse 1, he heals the paralytic. In chapter 3, verse 1, he heals a man with a withered hand. They had seen enough of what Jesus does. They should have been able to have faith in that situation, but they didn't. One of the things that I like to do with my students, I have one lecture where I do this, and we, we look at some of the pericopes in the gospel in particular. Uh, we look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember this one? They're there, they're on the mountain, he's doing this teaching, it's really a fascinating event, and then, and then everybody gets hungry. And Jesus says, hey, uh, these guys are hungry, what do we have? Well, we got a little bit of bread and we've got some fish. And Jesus multiplies it. There's enough food for everybody. Everybody's able to eat to their fill and there's food left over. What a miracle. And then as you go a little bit further in the story, you get to another scenario where now instead of 5,000, there's 4,000 people there, remember? Same deal. They're getting hungry. What do, you, what do you think we should do, disciples? Well, we got some fish, we got some bread multiplies it, everybody has all the food that they need and there's a bunch left over. Then you go a little bit further down the story and they find themselves in a boat again, they're going over another body of water again and the disciples get hungry and all of a sudden they're like, oh shoot, we forgot to bring the bread. What are we gonna do? And Jesus, I mean, could you imagine what it must have, he's like, really? 
were you not there for the, were you, I seem to remember you were there. Were you not there? What about the 4,000? Did you not? And here's what I tell my students. If the disciples who were with him and saw all these things face to face, fast up fast like we say in Creole, can forget, how easily can you and I forget? And so I wanna encourage you today as we go into 2022, we don't know what this year is gonna look like. I remember how exciting it was to watch the ball drop in 2020 and say, okay, we're leaving that year behind us. Well, 2021 didn't behave too well either for some people, didn't it? We don't know what this year is gonna have for us, but as we go into this year, I would encourage you to develop a way to remember his faithfulness to you, what I call the spiritual discipline of remembering. And this is a thing that we see in scripture in a, in a few different places. One of my favorites is from Joshua chapter four. You remember what happened in Joshua four? Uh, this is where the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land and they're up against the river and, and God parts that river for them so they can pass on dry ground. And he tells them, as you go down into that river, I want you to take 12 stones, one for each of the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel, I want you to pile them up over here so that in the future when your kids walk by and they see that pile of stones there and they say, Dad, Grandfather, what, what, is, what are those doing there? You can tell them about the faithfulness of your God. So I don't know what kind of mechanism you have to get your own pile of stones. I've done different things uh, over time. When we lived in Dallas, I had a study in our house there and, and I used to put a bulletin board up on the wall and every time God did something special for us, I would take a little memento from that and, and put it up there so we would remember. I remember, you know, we were seminary students at the time, so we were broke. And I remember, you know, one time someone gave us a check and I put the check, no, I didn't, I cashed the check, but I put a receipt up there on the, on the bulletin board or, or when God did something else for us, we would put it up on the bulletin board. And then from time to time, I would come into the study and I would look and I would say, oh, yeah, I remember when you did that. Thank you. That was cool. Ah, yeah, I remember when you did that, too. I've heard people do this a bunch of different ways. Some people will take a, a bowl and put it on their counter in their kitchen, and every time he does something, they'll write it on a slip and put it in the bowl, and then once a year, they'll sit down as a family and pull the slips out and remember the things that he's done. There are a number of ways that you can do this, but I would encourage you, as we go into 2022, get ready to practice the spiritual discipline of remembering. Find a way to regularly and intentionally remember his faithfulness to you. How many of you know he's been faithful to you? How many of you experienced that? Yeah, all of us. But we gotta document it because if we don't, we run the risk of remembering. And when we get into a storm, we wanna be prepared. We wanna make sure that those memory muscles are strong so that we don't like them become tempted to think that inaction equals indifference. As we go into storms, the first thing that we need to do, we need to look up. We need to remember who it is that's with us in the boat. And then we need to look back and remember his faithfulness to us. And the story continues. Let's, let's finish it out here. Picking it up in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. And then continuing down into Mark chapter five, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man 
with an unclean spirit. You remember this story? They got over there, and, and this is where the, the guy who is filled with the legion of demons shows up. Probably a pretty scary scenario. Isn't it great that he had just put them through a scary scenario so they would know something about his power? But what I see here as I look at this is, it, 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 I think about this as a leader, if I had just come through a traumatic storm scene like that with my team, one of the things that I would do once we get to the other side is, is I would sit us all down and, and we would debrief and we would, we would process and say, okay, let's, let's take two or three days off here, you know, and, 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 and rest a little bit. But Jesus, he was focused on the mission. As Soon as they got to the other side of the sea, they get right back to work. He knew what was waiting for them on the other side of the sea. All of this was part of the same plan. And I would encourage you right now as we're in the midst of this pandemic still, as we're in the midst of storms still, not just to look up, not just to look back, but also to look forward and re-engage in the mission that he's given us. Make sure we stay engaged in the mission that he's given us. It can be tempting right now as, as it feels like the world is upside down and it feels like everybody has lost their minds. It can be tempted to say, you know, I'm just gonna press a pause button here for a minute. I need to, no. Because what, what we've found over these past couple years is that when the times are the most difficult, God does some of his most exceptional work. We have decided to try to press forward with our mission as we've continued. This, by the way, is, is our uh, academic building on our main campus. It sits in the place where our former academic building sat. Our former academic building was there for about 50 years, and then it fell down in the earthquake in 2010. We lost it. And the seminary spent a few years dreaming and raising money about what a new building would look like, and finally everything came together. And in 2016, they broke ground. And in 2017, they inaugurated this building. I remember Yonel was with us that day. And we started to use it. And this is, I think, probably the finest academic facility in the country. But after that experience where we had that altercation, that interaction with the gangs, we left the campus. We ended up being able to come back to the campus for some time. And then in November of 2020, we discovered that gangs had begun to occupy a portion of our campus. And they were using it. Uh, I'm being recorded, so I will say to conduct illegal activities. <laughs> If you see the, the kind of activities that the missionaries in Haiti got, got caught up in, it was those kind of activities. And when we discovered that this was happening on our campus, we said, well, we can't, we can't bring students here anymore. We can't be here anymore. If we stay here, then people are gonna say we're accomplices with these guys. We're gonna have to leave. And I remember the day where we stood in front of that building. Where is it? There we go. I remember the day where we stood in front of that building. We had made the decision to leave. And I remember how difficult it was to walk away from that. That building cost $1.6 million. We gathered in a circle and we prayed and said, Lord, if you want us to use this building again, you're gonna have to protect it. And we walked away. We went back to the church where we had been meeting. We grabbed 
what little chairs we could grab and some of the essential things that we would need to be able to hold class. We loaded them up into the little dump truck that we have and we got some pickup trucks and hauled them across town and, and set up shop on the other side of the city. And, and I remember the first day in class, we took one day off so we could move everything. And then Monday morning, we got back to class again. And I remember sitting down with my, my students and saying, hey guys, how, how are you feeling? You wanna, you wanna talk about this? And, and they said, man, we are realizing that uh, if you guys would move so quickly and get us in class again so quickly, it must mean something about the importance of this mission that we're in. And so we, we were at that church for about a year and then we started to say, well, maybe we need to purchase some property over on the other side of the city. And so in June of this past year, we purchased this piece of property. Uh, we renovated it so that this building could begin to house classes. We added a new classroom building uh, next to it. And one of the things that's remarkable is that we did all of this uh, and the money for it was just there. We didn't have to make a single ask. Now, if Andy is watching this, he'll, he'll criticize me because as a fundraiser, you're supposed to be okay to make the ask. I'm, I'm okay to make the ask. I'm just saying this time we didn't have to. God brought more money into the seminary last year than he has in any year over the previous 10 when the times are the most difficult, that's often when God does some of his most exceptional work. And so we've continued there, we've functioned there. Meanwhile, over at the church where Becca and I serve, we have seen more baptisms over the past year than any year in the past 10. We have seen people get baptized that we never expected would get anywhere near the waters of baptism. I saw one guy, not this guy, but one guy who when I first met him was so angry at God he could have, or hardly have a conversation. In this past year, I was able to dunk him in the water. God has been doing exceptional work. But you've gotta be able to stay on mission. We've continued to graduate students and one of the things that we've realized as I alluded to a moment ago is, is that now as we have continued to press on in the midst of this storm, we're, we're now graduating a new type of student. We're graduating a student that has a, a deeper sense of resiliency, a, a, a deeper commitment to the mission because as they were students tracking with us throughout their four years, they saw that no matter what happens, held up at gunpoint, occupy the campus, pay a log, no matter what happens, we are gonna continue to form these guys and they've realized, oh, there's something unique about this mission. So as we, as we face storms in this coming year, the first thing we need to remember is to look up and remember just who it is that's with us. The God-man. The one who is not at the mercy of the storm, but the one who is the master of the storm. And then we need to look back and remember the ways that he has been faithful to us. Not just in our own lives, by the way, but we have an amazing record of the way God has been faithful to his people over the centuries. We need to look back. We need to remember his faithfulness. And then we need to look forward and say, okay, Make disciples. How do I do that now in the midst of this context in the way the world looks? As I close, I just wanna, I wanna leave three questions in your mind and let them simmer there for a minute. The first question is this, and forgive me because this may seem basic, but here's the question. Is Jesus in your boat? 
See, I don't want to assume anything. I've been away from grace for a few years now. A number of you I know, a number of you I don't. And so, so maybe you're someone who's been coming here for the past several months. You, you enjoy the music. You enjoy Jace's preaching. You enjoy the relationships that are developed here. But you've never actually been willing to say, Jesus, here's my life. You can take it. See, if, you're gonna, if we're gonna go through storms in this next year, you better be sure Jesus is in your boat. So I would encourage you today, if that's you, if you're sitting here or if you're watching online and you've not yet come to the point of decision where you have been ready to give Jesus your life, when you've been willing to say, you know what, Jesus, I trust that what you did on the cross was enough to make me right with God. You took my punishment on yourself and made me right with God. If you haven't ever come to a place where you believe that, do that today. Is Jesus in your boat? That's the first question. Second question, do you have a mechanism in place to regularly and intentionally remember God's faithfulness to you? Some of you need to stop at Walmart on the way home and get a notebook or something, amen? <laughs> do you have a way to do that? Not only do you have a way to document it, but do you have something on the calendar where you will regularly go through and intentionally remember the things that he has done? That's the second question. The third question is just simply, are you on mission right now? He's given us a great commission and we don't have the luxury of pressing the pause button during a pandemic. The Great Commission is this, go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups of the world. And sometimes when we think about you know, the need for us, all of us, to be involved in disciple making, it, it, can sign, it can sound a little bit intimidating. Making a disciple, being a disciple maker, that sounds like a lot. I, I don't wanna mess it up. <laughs> a good friend of mine in Haiti, Wawa, he, he likes to call disciple making simply friendship with a purpose. Disciple making isn't all that complicated. All you need to be willing to do is reach out to the people that God has placed in your sphere of influence, befriend them, and then watch for the ways that the Spirit gives you ability and place to place truth in front of them. Are you on mission right now? When you go to Starbucks every morning and you see that same barista making your, lap, uh, your laptop, your latte, do you know their name? Do you know their struggles? That's a great opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. Is Jesus in your boat? Do you have a way to remember? And are you on mission as we go into 2022? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. As we talk about the hope that comes from being in relationship with Jesus, who himself is the God-man, who himself is not at the mercy of the storm, but is the master of the storm. It's a, it's a unique privilege that you've given us. And Father, we are grateful. And Father, we're grateful for the ways that you have shown yourself faithful to us. Personally, over these past few years in Haiti, I'm grateful, Lord. And here at this church, we're grateful for the ways you have showed up. And Father, I pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and courage to engage uh, in the people that you want us to engage 
and the people you want us to invest in for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.